These days at All Souls, we are conducting a little controversy on the business of blessing, not of receiving blessings or giving thanks for them, but on the question of giving blessings or of pronouncing, proclaiming the blessings that God is already or has already made, the gifts of goodness that have gone on or gone into someone's life. At the heart of it is the blessing of children. Now, children are just as much part of the life of this church as are you who are not children. Childlike, you may be, even a little childish, a present company accepted. <laughs> but you do not belong, most of you, to that category of humanity for whom life is a gift, a gold coin newly minted, held tightly and dearly in the closed little fist of the soul, yet gleaming brightly through the eyes, the windows of the soul for all to see. I look into those windows, I look into the eyes of children when they are led or lugged up here to receive that blessing, to submit to some statement of God's love and one man's prayer for them, an exhortation. I look in and I see that gold gleaming within. Even when the eyebrows are crinkled and the nose is sniffling and red and the neck muscles are learning to bear their burden, that's the, speaking about the children, not about the Twisting the head this way and that, I look and see the gold of the soul within, gleaming. I see a person, God-made and full of God-given potential, full of life, waiting to be lived. I'm not a romantic about children nor about childhood, but I know what I see in those eyes, on those faces, and it is real. Unmasked reality, looking back at me staring me in the face, staring me down, even in the most gentle, wraith-like wrap of bemusement, wonder. Children are real. They are, to quote the Lubach, weighted with ontological density, and they make me painfully aware of my own wraith-like insubstantiality. They are real. They require, they demand a response, and I give it or try to do so. A blessing and a prayer for each child who asks it or is placed in the way of blessing. They are real, and time is real. No script anymore. Time stops. Now, we are asking ourselves once again, I am asking primarily whether or not it is appropriate to interrupt the distribution of communion, the flow of the service with those blessings. I know they can go on, and I have been told so. I know what they can do to the shape and balance of liturgy, bending the boundaries, if not frankly breaking the rules. I know this, I feel this, but I still go on, fulfilling my priestly vocation and pronouncing those blessings, saying whatever I hope the Holy Spirit is popping into my head as I feel those keen eyes staring right through me. I can't not do it. It is a matter of ontological density, of reality. Kids are real. We adults so often are not so real. I bless adults too, anyway. We all need those blessings, God knows. Why this long excursus? Well, kids figure into our story today, into our stories. In the Old Testament story of David, 2 Samuel 11, it is the gift of a child, unwanted, certainly unexpected, 
the gift of a love child to two people in love whose love unfortunately leads them to cross boundaries in inappropriate ways. David, a king, Bathsheba, a commoner, and another man's wife. To cross that boundary is a capital offense, even for kings. To have a child in the works is to prove the offense and provides the prosecution, David's conscience, with a piece of evidence he would just as soon suppress. When he can't bring man and wife together in the proper way of making children and pass off his offspring as not his own, he sends the man alone into the thick of battle, a certain death sentence. Murder? Or is it a military strategy, the task of kings, after all, who in spring, when the winter rains have ended and the rushing torrents have ceased and the riverbeds have turned back into roads and the mud is hard, dry ground once again, ready to bear the shod feet of soldiers and the wheels of chariots, send their armies into other kings' territories to plunder what they may, conquest, a royal prerogative. God sees this conquest, God calls it murder. A terse verse says it all. The Lord was displeased. So God will send a prophet when the deed is done and the child is on the way to show King David the error of his ways. And David will see it right away. David will get it instantly. That's why he's a saint. Not because he never sins. No one is without sin, save one alone. Our saintliness is measured not by our sinliness, but by the speed of our repentance. Well, that lies ahead in the weeks to come in our narrative. David will be forgiven, but the child will be taken, the life of the child will be taken by the Lord, despite all David's prayers and protestations. Sin has its consequences. I underline this, we are much here about God's forgiveness, which is absolute. We do need to remind ourselves that the sins, the consequences of sin are just as absolute and are usually as indelible and ineradicable as God's forgiveness works its magic erasing quality on our relationship with him. We are forgiven, we are renewed and the ruin we have wrought remains. Just a word to the wise. Sin has its consequences. Bathsheba and David will marry. From this point on, however, David's life goes downhill. David has changed. He is no longer his old self, weaker, weaker, and increasingly more indecisive. He will watch his own sons make mockery of him even consorting with the royal consorts on the roof of the royal palace for all the world to see. Love, all for love. We don't doubt David's love. We don't doubt that perhaps even love is there for the taking, as long as one is able to pay the price. But is there love? Is love one? Are there kinds of love? Luther, in his Heidelberg Disputation, points out that there are two kinds of love, in his opinion. There is man's love, human love, and there is God's love. The love of God is creative. It is a love that makes. 
that makes the object of its love or makes it lovable. It brings into being something, loveliness, that was not there before. That is how God loves us. Not because we're lovable, but because God is loving. The love of God makes. The love of man, of human beings, takes. Say it again. The love of God makes. The love of us, what we called love, even true love, takes. This love, our love, looks for its object and finds it ready-made, already lovely. It finds its objects among the things that are lovely, good, and beautiful. It finds such a love object and it takes it. Maybe it uses it for a while and then discards it. Maybe it is less lovely now than when it was, older and wiser and wearied and worn. Worn out, it is thrown out. It can be a person, too, this object of our love. A spouse, maybe, a parent, even a child, as we know when we read the news. Unwanted, unloved, discarded, thrown out. Taken and then thrown back. Thank God, then, that humans may love with the love of God and not just the fickle affections of one another. In today's gospel, a little child produces, by way of God's mediating miraculous love, a feast for 5,000 from five loaves and a few fishes. He shares what he has for sure. We've all had that story, heard the story about how the child shares and everybody shares, and that was the miracle. No, that was not the miracle. A child shared, and then something truly miraculous happened. But it started with that child. He shares what he has, then God steps in. Jesus sees the need, the hunger, not just for bread, but for words, words of life, words that taken and planted in faith will be reaped as a harvest of love. Jesus is planting faith there. This crowd is hungry, but they cling on Jesus every word. They are poor, and they feel their poverty, yet they stay with him every step of the way, every hour, every minute of that day. They do not ask for food, by the way, They do not demand a sign. They do not present their needs to Jesus. They are content as he feeds them his word of life. The feeding of bread and fish comes later, and then all this is all over. The miracles cease when they are demanded. Jesus has better things to do than perform tricks. And you'll notice when the crowds start following him and say, give us that bread, do that thing with the bread again, he says, No, you don't get it. No, we're not about signs and wonders. Two stories then. Jesus makes some bread out of nothing, feeds 5,000 from five loaves, a miracle. It doesn't happen every day. David takes something, a marriage, and destroys it. First he goes after the wife to take her away. Then he goes after the husband to do away with him. This is not a miracle, and it happens every day, every day. Two stories, one message. God's love gives, human love takes. We seek to love with God's love then, to love God's world with God's love, and then with our hands and feet and heads, 
to put that love into action, filling this loveless, love-starved, lovely and unloving world with his word of life and love. We seek to see God's world with God's eyes, too, to see past, to see right through the masks that the world pastes on, masks of weal or masks of woe painted on smiles, happy faces that say through the surgically displaced wrinkles, all is well when it isn't, or the deep furrows filled with grime that etch the ageless ancient face of some street person and show in a moment under this 60-year-old face the gleam of a child's eyes, the soft hope of a child's heart, the sign that a child's trust is buried within this hulking shell of spent possibilities. Yes, I bless our children, and I am happy to do it, truly, for I know that these children will go into God's world and give the love that we cannot. They will save the unborn and serve the children of God of all ages and manners and dispositions and stations of life. They will go to the most unlovely, unloving parts of our world, our city, our state, our country, and show God's love, making to be, making to be lovely and good, that which to our eyes simply is not. I know they will do that, and I send them on all of our behalf, in the name of the God who loves them, into the world he loves on mission, not to keep them wrapped in some safe bubble, the gift that life in the suburbs can give? No, to wrap them in our prayers and send them where they must be strong and God must protect them so that they may take what is broken, forgotten, unloved, unloving, and unlovely and with God's grace and in God's strength make it whole again. That's my prayer for them and for us. Amen. <laughs>